would, to the book of Galatians. If you're new here, we're right in the middle of a Bible series called Free at Last, study of the book of Galatians, and we're happy to continue that today with you. But before we do, I just want to pray for our time together as worshipers in the Word of God. So let's pray. O Lord, it is you who answers out of the whirlwind of everyday life. We ask now that you breathe in us your Holy Spirit to strengthen, to comfort, and to guide us in the midst of our storms of life. O God, you are our shepherd and our king. O Christ, you are crucified and now risen from the dead. O Spirit, you comfort and empower. O great three-in-one Trinity, this hour, may you set us free to worship in your word together. Amen. Amen. We're going to get right down to business today here in Galatians chapter 3. Right up to verse 1, beginning the new chapter in Galatians. I just want to read this section, and then we'll jump right in to our worship in the word. So Galatians 3, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it for you. So the Apostle Paul writing to church there in Galatia, in the ancient world. Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now here's the main idea we're going to chew on today. It is that salvation is by the Spirit from start to finish. Salvation is by the Spirit from start to finish. Salvation is by the Spirit from the start to the finish. And when I say salvation, I'm talking about all of the Christian life, from the point of conversion all the way to the point of the great restoration of all things in Jesus Christ and everything between. That's what I mean by salvation. Conversion, all the good stuff, all the trials, all of Christian life, all the way to restoration. Salvation is by the Spirit from start to finish. Now Paul is going to give us here in our text today six questions that are meant to spur you in the Spirit. Okay, Six questions to spur you in the Spirit. Here's how people work. Not all of us are challenged and motivated in the same ways, all right? Some of us might be more rational, some are more emotional, some are a great mix of both. Some are motivated by people, some are motivated by tasks, some are both. And Paul, I think, realizes that, so he's going to ask some questions that are interrelated, but they're not necessarily linear. But he does have a point, and his point 
is to make you know that salvation is by the Spirit from the start to the very last. So we're going to look at these six questions here briefly together this morning. Here's the first one. The first question is, who has bewitched you? Okay? Who has bewitched you? You can find that in the very first verse if you want to read it again from your Bibles. I'll read it. Look for the question. Oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So don't forget the problem, the severe challenge, the crisis that was going on in this ancient church. Paul had founded the church and he had preached Jesus Christ to them. These weren't people, it's easy to get mixed up sometimes in the ancient world, these weren't people who actually met Jesus, but they met Paul and Paul preached the gospel in such a vivid, high definition, neon sign type of way that Paul said, it was as if you'd seen Jesus with your own eyes. And when Paul preached the gospel, he talked about the power of Jesus through his death and resurrection to totally reorient someone's life, to recreate someone from darkness to light. And when he did that, Paul would talk about the Holy Spirit of God applying all of the work of Christ to us as individuals. Paul was very clear when he preached the gospel to this church and his clarity was all of the work in salvation is being done by Jesus Christ. But the crisis was, after he left, the church became infiltrated. Spies were sneaking past the outer gates of grace and mercy and actually infiltrating the inner core of the gospel in the church. Specifically, the problem here was false teachers came in and they said, look, we love Jesus. Jesus is great. And to be a Christian and to experience Jesus fully, you need Jesus plus circumcision. Right? You need Jesus plus we want to look back at the Old Testament and we want to make sure you're keeping this commandment of circumcision. That was their new message that got smuggled in to the church there. And you might think, well, what was the motivation to do something like that? Well, there were apparently a group of leaders. you got to remember church there was a lot different than it is here today in our culture. If you had a church, a Christian church, you were probably going to be persecuted, usually by uh, Jews who thought Christians were trying to mess up Judaism, right? But if you could take a church and make it quasi-Jewish, a bunch of people worshiping Jesus, but we still do circumcision, so we're kind of still Jewish. You could have this middle ground, almost a sect, that would not be persecuted. So apparently, these uh, infiltrators wanted the, uh, the prestige of leadership, but they didn't want the persecution, and so they started telling people, hey, Jesus plus circumcision. Well, the result is, the impact is, the church became almost under a spell. They were delusional. They were bewitched. Now here's a question for you. Very simple. Who in this culture, who in your life, has been subtly proclaiming to you that you could save yourself? Okay? It's very interesting when Paul gives this list of questions, 
about salvation in the Spirit, he starts with a who question, right? Paul is wise enough to know that any false teaching is going to have a face. That's why it's so dangerous. It could be a trusted face, right? It could be a friend. It could be a counselor. It could be your favorite follow on your Twitter feed. It could be a Facebook presence. It could be a TV media personality. Man, you love them as an artist. That's great work in film. I'd love to hear what she has to say about salvation. Oh, she said something. That sounds good. Think about who in your life might be telling you that God's Spirit is not enough. You need God's Spirit plus X, Y, Z. Those people, Paul would say, be very aware and run. Sprint away from those people because they're deluding. They're going counter-gospel on you. How do you know who these people are? Well, a couple of hints. Is there someone who points you more towards your work for Christ than he does the work of Christ? Is anybody pointing you towards more of your work for Jesus than Jesus' work for you? Right? That could be an indication that person is trying to smuggle something in that's harmful. Or look out for someone who steers you more towards self-help and away from God's rescue, okay? Someone who is telling you more about self-help than they are about God's rescue could be one who is smuggling something in. Or someone who prompts you to free yourself instead of being freed by the Spirit. We all love the notion of freedom, don't we? The problem is, if the agent of freedom is not the Holy Spirit, we're going to be released from manacles only to be thrown into the hole of solitary confinement. We must be freed by the Holy Spirit to worship Jesus Christ alone. And I'll tell you, these things are subtle. They hardly ever come from people who are opposing you. These are going to be the good-looking, smooth-talking folks, people you trust that say this. But Paul's warning to you is don't let them bewitch you, realize that someone specific with a face is duping you. Okay? That's Paul's first question. Secondly, how did you receive the Spirit? That's the second question. How did you receive the Spirit? Look in verse 2 for me. I'm summing up verse 2 with that question. Paul said this, let me ask you something. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by A, works of the law, or B, by hearing with faith. Get the question? How did you receive the Spirit in the first place? All right, from a macro view here, Paul is going to offer over the next three chapters uh, some statements why this church should turn away from false teachers. Okay? And he's starting with their conversion experience. Everybody who follows Christ has a meaningful conversion it could be over time. It could be dramatic like Paul. But all of us were converted from darkness to light. And Paul here is saying, think back to when you were converted. How did you receive the Spirit? See that phrase there, receive the Spirit. He's talking about the moment when the Spirit of God came into your life and removed the scales from your eyes, showed you for the very first time how beautiful Jesus was, and actually turned your heart for you to love God. This time of change started at 
conversion. So Paul's question to the Galatian church here is, what brought about this spirit-filled change at your conversion? Was it works of the law or was it faith? So he's talking to these Galatians and he says, did you guys observe a Jewish festival day? Maybe for six months and that's how you came to Jesus? No, not what they did. Deuteronomy 24. You may have read Deuteronomy 24. Has a bunch of laws about how the uh, uh, Israelites were supposed to lend money to one another. You think the Galatian church started practicing fair lending practices and that's how they became converted? No, that's not how it was. Leviticus 14 has laws about cleansing your house if a leper stops by. Afterward, you've got a scrub and you've got a scrape. Is that how the Galatian church came to know Jesus? No. How was it? It was through faith and trusting God. That's how the Spirit came. It was hearing the gospel and treasuring Christ because of it. It was this profound necessity that was necessary for all to be saved. Now here's your part. Switching from the Galatian church to you sitting here this morning. What problem are you facing today that you feel simply utterly unequipped to face? Okay, what problem in your life, if you're honest with yourself, do you feel unequipped to face? Could be financial. Could be that third credit card. It feels weighty, right? You don't feel equipped to face that. Could be physical, right? Most of us have extra pounds or high blood pressure, sleep issue, pain that's devastating, physical problems. Nothing like physical problems will tell you I'm unequipped to face this on my own. Could be relational, right? Ever feel like I'm never going to move forward with this family member until they treat me with the dignity I deserve? Or you ever feel like I can never trust you after what you did. Trust has been broken. We're not going to move forward. A relational problem that you feel unequipped to handle. Pick your problem. Fill it in the blank. Now think for a moment. Got a problem in your mind, hopefully. Think for a moment. What tool at your conversion did God use to overcome your initial problem of sin and Satan? What was it God used long ago in your initial problem of sin and Satan to overcome them. How did you receive the spirit of life then? Well, you were saved through trusting God. You had an initial problem of sin and of Satan, and you trusted God, and He came in and He dealt with the problem. The same is true today. The Spirit will come as you trust in God and call out to Him to deal with this problem that you feel unequipped to deal with. Faith that God can handle your sin and your circumstances is going to be the way forward in a spirit-filled life. Could it be possible that God is calling you today to the very same faith that you had in the beginning? He's demanding that you call out to Him and trust that He's for you. Trust that He can handle it. Trust that He's never leaving you. Trust that He's making all things new even in the midst of your problem. Trust God like you once trusted Him in the beginning and you'll see the Spirit work. He will be with you. He will carry you. 
He will pour out His blessings upon your life. That's where Paul's going with that second question. Thirdly, this is hitting from a different angle. But if you're like me, you can relate to it. His third question is simply, are you this foolish? Are you this foolish? You see it at the beginning of verse 3. He asks simply, all right, church, are you really this foolish? Because you're acting a fool. That's what Paul would say. This is the kind of language my father used with me. I don't know how it was when you were growing up. But my dad would say these things to me as I was growing up. I remember one time I was, we had a big garden when I was little. And we, we would plant beans, 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 corn, 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 corn. And my job was to go and pull the weeds. And I remember one day, dad sent me out there in the beans. And I was, I was a task-minded, very literal kid. And he had told me, pull the weeds, pull the weeds. And I pulled the whole row and I went back to dad. And I was like, I pulled them all out and I showed him. And what I thought were morning glories, if you've ever seen a morning glory, they look kind of like beans, were actually the beans. I had pulled up all of the bean plants, and I can still see my dad looking at me saying, are you really this foolish? Are you really this foolish? I remember the time I brought home a D in French class, and I told my dad, I'm not worried about academics. I'm going to get my job on my own winsomeness. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, are you this foolish? And if he was really upset, he would say something like, son, are you this foolish or are you just stupid? I'm like, which one do you want me to choose, dad? Which one's better? <laughs> That's kind of what Paul is doing here. My dad's point and Paul's point to talk like that is that you know how this is making you look when you're acting this way, specifically with the Galatians, it is when you're adding something to the gospel, when you're trusting in works instead of the spirit. Do you realize how this makes you look? I saw a viral video the other day. I won't play it now but because uh, it's too long. But uh, it was a TEDx talk. Hopefully you know what TEDx talks are, these events where people get together and they share ideas about technology and entertainment and design. Um, and a group of people have gathered in a room, something like this, except a lot bigger. And there was a guy there saying he was a hypnotist and that he could actually hypnotize people. And it wasn't fake. And he said, if you want to play along, you can. And the whole audience uh, says, okay, yeah, let's do it. And I, then he said, okay, if you think that you just had a certain effect, come up on stage. So apparently... 15 people who thought they were halfway hypnotized came up on stage, and what he was doing was measuring whether they were susceptible to it, right? And there was one guy that stood out, and I imagine this guy, I don't know his story, but I imagine him arriving at this TEDx talk, maybe with his girlfriend or on a first date, and him saying, man, this is bogus. I'm going to show her how I cannot be hypnotized, right? So here he is. He comes up, and he's sitting on the, uh, the stage here, and the hypnotist explains I'm going to make people think that they are a cat or a chicken. And later he brings out a picture of a cucumber. If you've ever seen internet videos, cats are scared of cucumbers. And so the people who think they're cats go, blah! The people who think they're chickens are also scared of cucumbers, blah! So get the scene. People who just arrived to this TED Talk are sitting up on stage, and there's this one guy, and the hypnotist walks over 
snaps his finger, and the guy sitting down, just looking around, he starts going. <laughs> and then he tells him to get up, and he actually gets up and starts dancing like a chicken in front of everybody, pecking around the room, and then he shows him a cucumber. I didn't know it, but chickens are scared of cucumbers. He runs off the stage dancing. The craziest looking guy i ever seen. And I, it, it, that image hit me as, that's how foolish we look. That's how foolish, like a man doing a chicken dance, is how foolish we look when we attempt to add something to salvation from start to finish other than the Spirit. Paul is saying the Spirit drives everything. It's not circumcision. It's not anything else. It is the Spirit of God. Are you this foolish to think anything else matters? So don't be the chicken dance guy. Don't be that foolish. Fourth question. Number four. Did the Spirit pass the baton? That's what Paul is asking. Did the Spirit pass the baton? You can look in the second half of verse 3. Paul says it a little differently. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by what? The flesh? That's the question. Did the Spirit actually pass the baton here? In other words, does the Christian life look like this? The Spirit comes in at the first and He converts you. Boom! You are reborn by His power. He's affecting the work of Jesus in your heart. And then later, you take it, right? He passes the baton to you, and by your own will, by your own perseverance, you take it from there. That's what Paul is saying. Did the Spirit pass the baton? I, I don't think so, says Paul. He addresses this elsewhere. If you're a Bible reader, you'll remember Ephesians 2. Paul talks about this. He talks about the uh, work of the Spirit initially in your life when he says this. In 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. The beginning, talking about your conversion. It's not your own doing. It's not a result of works. That way nobody can boast, right? That's the beginning of our faith. It's your conversion. But what about the good deeds after that? What about the Christian life after that? Well, he addresses that in Ephesians 2.10, where he says, For we are his workmanship. We are created by Christ. In Jesus, for good works, when Paul said good works, he's talking about everything ministry-wise you do in your life after conversion. Paul says, God prepared those things beforehand so that we should walk in them. In other words, every act of love, every act of service was actually prepared by God beforehand, by the Spirit, so that you could walk in them. A while ago, there was a magician on TV. You may have seen him. His name is Chris Angel. He's one of those street uh, musician guys. He's really uh, cool and really hipster kind of guy. And he's got a, uh, a trick, an illusion, where he goes to the pool, right? Uh, and he walks across the water. It's really dramatic. And he's really cool about it, though, because that's who he is. And he's, he's walking on solid ground to the edge of the pool. And then he'll just step off while people are swimming, there and they'll all be amazed. Well, how's he do the trick? Well, they're all in on the trick. It's a TV thing and everybody is in on the trick. And what you don't see is under the water, it looks completely like he's walking on water, but under the water there are stands, plastic stands that are see-through that he actually steps on every time he steps across the water. And that's a great image of the Christian life because in the Christian life you start off on something solid, the Holy Spirit. And every step you take 
from that point, even if you don't see it, is stepping on something solid prepared beforehand by the Spirit. Paul wants you to know that from the start to the end, all of your salvation is wrapped up and accomplished by the Spirit. He's going to finish what he starts. Here's how writer Justin Holcomb says it. He said that the idea that we could or should try to repay God for his grace cuts away from the source of power that saved us in the first place. God's grace. How should we live then? If our works are prepared beforehand, what do we do? Paul says we walk in them. We show up. We abide in the vine of Jesus. We walk by the Spirit. We do our best not to muck it up, but we will. And when we do, grace picks us up again. It's like the old Rich Mullins lyric. If I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will see me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. That's a good picture of the Christian life. The Spirit finishes what he started. Question five. Fifth question here. Paul asked in verse four, did you suffer for nothing? Read verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain if it indeed was in vain, remember the context there. If you became a Christian in Galatia, we don't know the specific details of their suffering, but we know that the Jewish people weren't happy about these churches popping up, worshiping Jesus as God, and so they persecuted them. So Paul looks at the Galatians church and says, was your, was your suffering all for nothing? Last week, my great alma mater, the University of Tennessee, played a football game against the lowly Florida Gators, our rivals. We lost the game, but at a pivotal moment, I'm over it, at the pivotal <laughs> moment, we were losing, and it was fourth down, and we had a big shot to catch up. And if you know football, we ran a play action to the tailback. The quarterback rolled out to the right, Everybody thought he was passing this way. He turns and he throws back to the fullback who is wide open. And he catches the ball 40 yards from the end zone. And man, he's churning. All that he's worked for over the offseason, all the sprints he's done, he's churning, he's churning. Nobody's around him. At the last minute, at the five-yard line, a Gator player comes and clips his leg as he's diving in the end zone. And as he's diving in the end zone, he's got the football here, not my phone, but the football He's got the football and he's diving. He tries to secure it with his other hand and he goes, and the football goes out the end zone. Gator ball, no points for the vault. I was crushed. All of the work to make that play happen was for nothing because he fumbled it at the end. That's the idea Paul is giving to you. All right? Don't go your whole life working hard, pursuing God, only to fumble the central message of the gospel. The central message is it's all by the Spirit from the beginning to the end. Finally, last question. How do your blessings now come? How do your blessings now come? Look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the question. How do your blessings now come? Paul has moved from conversion to talk about your present experience of the Holy Spirit. 
He said, God's given you the Spirit and also the works of the Spirit, the miracles of the Spirit, the blessing of the Spirit. How has that come? Well, he gives Abraham as an example. Next week we'll talk more about the gospel in the Old Testament, but just for today, he holds Abraham up as an example, and he says, Abraham was counted as one of God's people in Genesis 15, 6. Why? Because he believed God. It's because of trust. Even Abraham, the father of circumcision, wasn't made righteous by circumcision. That's Paul's point. God's grace was affected in Abraham's life through his belief. That's salvation from start to finish. And think about this. All of your current life today is empowered by the Spirit and not the law. Every word to your disobedient child Every lap around the neighborhood trying to meet your neighbors. Every morning sleepy, coffee-filled devotion. Time in the Word. That's powered by the Spirit. Every encounter with the guy on the street who just wants a couple bucks. Your every response to your victimization. Every weekly meal in your community group. Every moment you sit with a dying loved one. All of this is empowered by the Spirit. Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is here. He empowers your salvation from start to to the very, very end. That's Paul's word to us this morning. And what we're going to do is something a little bit different today. We're going to actually try to respond together. Okay? Here in a moment, we're going to move into the time of the Lord's Supper where I want you to spend some time in prayer for your own heart. Think through these questions that Paul has given you. Think through maybe where you've been suppressing the Spirit of God. And then after we have the Lord's Supper, we're actually going to spend some time praying for one another here in the service. We're actually going to call upon the Spirit together to bless us. We're going to cling to the Spirit at this moment in our salvation. Now, if you're a guest here, we understand. Maybe you just came and just wanted to watch the show, right? We get that. You can stay in your seat. That's fine. But if you're a believer, if you're a member here at Treasuring Christ Church, we really want to invite you to participate. So we'll basically have a couple of sections of prayer. The first one is going to be a time of prayer for yourself and your relationship to God. And then after that, I will come and move us to pray for a couple of other things. What we have here in the church, we have several leaders here this morning. We have pastors that will be here. They'll be standing up so that if you want to go to them and pray, you can. Feel free to go to whoever you want to, though, when we enter into this season. Uh, We have community group leaders here. We have deacons. It's going to be really free. So first, I want you to spend some time praying over the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to spend some more time after that praying for one another and some other things here. And that's how we're going to rely on the Spirit today. Okay, a big way to grab onto God through the Spirit is through prayer, calling out and saying, we can't do this, God. Circumcision wouldn't do this. Any other work couldn't deliver us. We need your power to come and deliver. So let's start with the Lord's Supper here. Let me pray for us. And then we've got tables at the front, at the back. If you're a believer... Follower of Christ, take the elements back to your seat. 
spend some time in prayer and then take the supper. And then after that, we'll move on to a little bit of prayer after that. So let me pray for us. God, help us. Move us to trust the Spirit today. Come to us now in this moment and rescue us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the supper together.